April 20th marks Behavioral Health Today's third anniversary. To celebrate our third year mark, we're releasing five shows this week, one episode each day. Two will be brand new shows, and three will be some of our favorites from the past year. We hope you enjoy all of them, both new and old, and we look forward to another year of bringing you trending and relevant content in behavioral and mental health. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Ron Anderson. Ron is the executive director of Project Reclaim, which operates a prevention-based after-school program for teens, providing life skills workshop for elementary and middle school youth, parenting training, and parent involvement activities for parents and guardians. Project Reclaim is a leadership academy that targets middle, junior, and high school youth in Minden, Louisiana area. Today, we're talking about Project Reclaim and bedrock skills to guide our youth. Ron, I want to welcome you to our show. So nice to have you here. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, Ron, I would I would love to start this podcast by understanding a little bit more of your background, kind of your upbringing, what brought you into this, what you've done in your life, and kind of what brought the inspiration of Project Reclaim. Give us a little bit of a background. Certainly. The prediction for me as a teenager is that I would either die in the streets or end up in prison in our famed Angola State Penitentiary here in Louisiana. And I believed it. I believed that those predictions would, would come to fruition for me. And it's hard for me to explain and put into words how bleak that kind of outlook on your life is. You know, living in, in dire and abject poverty, no food, no lights, no heat, no father in the household, one meal a day at school, Monday through Friday. And on top of that, being surrounded by people that were prone to violence, being raised around some men that were very violent. So that was modeled for me. I thought that the way that you handle disappointments in your life is that you lashed out, is that you were violent. And that's how I responded to situations that I was facing. One day at our high school, I injured a boy very grievously. I was one that tended to fight quite frequently. And on this occasion, I hurt some very, very badly. Uh, he had to be rushed to the emergency room here at Menden Medical Center. And the principal called me in and told me that he was tired of me, that I'd hurt another one of his students. And he told me that if I didn't have that boy's doctor bill paid, that I would not be allowed to attend another school in this parish, in Webster Parish, which we have parishes here in Louisiana rather than mm -hmm. counties. Okay. It was at that point that I realized I needed some help. I went to see our high school counselor that next Monday, Mrs. June C. Turner, and she did something that was a real turnaround in my life. When I explained to her some of the things I was experiencing, she went to a file cabinet and she took out a manila folder with my academic record. And she said this, she said, your grades were really good until right here. Mm -hmm. And then she asked a very fundamental question. She said, what happened to you? Uh -huh. And that was a watershed moment in my life when you're surrounded by all of these things and, and your parents are lost to you and you don't have resources and people look down on you because of where you live. The only common denominator is me. And so you feel so singular that I'm causing this. But for her to, to put it in that perspective for me, then I understood it wasn't me. It was the things that was going on around me. So she arranged with all of my teachers, if I ever needed to come to her to talk, that they could release me from class. And Dr. Taylor, I respected that so much that I never abused it. Not mm. never. 
Mm. And if you ask me what makes me do what I do today, I want those kids that other people say they can't work with because I was one of those. Yeah. I want those kids that they say are quote unquote at risk of dropping out of school or, or having the same predictions for them that people had for me. I want them because I realized something. I realized that with the right approach, with caring, empathy, with genuineness, that they too can rise above the circumstances that they're in, that they don't have to feel singular, that other people have experienced those and that they too can be a success in their lives. Ron, tell me something. I, I We had another practitioner on our show one time and and he talked about this very same question. He works in the prisons and he doesn't go in and say, hey, what's wrong with you? That's a very shame-based, this is about you. Yes. What explains you being here? Because it's got to be about you. You're the singular common denominator, right? Everything around you goes to hell in a handbasket. So it must be you. But he says the same thing. What happened to you? Yes. And there was something very paradigm shifting almost that says, you mean it's not about me? Certainly. You mean it could be something that explains that I'm just in this environment that I'm in and these things happen and maybe this is my best response to those things happening around me. I'd like you to mind down just a wee bit more. What was that shift like for you to go from this is about who I am to what has happened around me that might explain my behavior being a response to these things that as a wee boy, young man, I didn't even know were so impactful. Even as a teenager, that was such a, a monumental shift for me because you internalize those things. You feel that things are not going well for you because of you. But yes. when Ms. Turner phrased it in such a fashion as she did, then I saw that it was things external to me, things that yes. were going on around me that had me responding to those things the way that I did. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you're not a bad child. You're an angry child. Yes. And you can't dictate what the adults around you do. But she said something, Dr. Taylor, that certainly bore fruit later. She said, if you do your best in school, if you follow the rules, if you accept the help that I'm giving you, she said, one day you'll have your own household and you'll be able to dictate what goes on there. So she was not only just reframing, Ron, this is not you. This is what's happened to you. Yes. And these are not unusual, abnormal responses that someone displays when these types of things happen. And she also gave you a promise. And it sounds like she held out some hope Definitely. that if you, if you could just do these things and we can come around you, maybe your environment outside of school isn't as available as you might need it to be, but we can be available to you in the school here. There was some hope that she was promising there, wasn't she? Well, let me tell you something. The most dangerous individual that you'll ever encounter is one yeah. without hope. And I felt hopeless, but when yeah. she extended that to me. And that high school I went to, Webster High School, that was the approach by a lot of the educators there. They knew what I was experiencing. Minden is a very small town. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knew what I was experiencing. There were some people that denigrated me and put me down because of where I lived in this neighborhood called Shiny and where I lived when I lived in the projects. But when I went to that school, there was structure there. They accepted me if they didn't accept my behavior. And mm -hmm. I knew that they cared immensely about what the outcome of my life was going to be. So it was a watershed moment in my life. And I'm always proud to say that that school saved my life. I tell my wife, if I came along now where you don't have counselors with that kind of access that I had, when you don't have that level of caring, 
when all of the the emphasis is on testing me every day. Yes. If I came along now, I wouldn't make it. Yeah. That school was an oasis. It was somewhere where I went. I was safe. I was accepted. They didn't cut any corners for me, doctor. They didn't say, oh, this poor no. little black boy from the projects, because no. if they would have cut corners for me, I would have resented it. Can you say a little bit more about that? So this, so if they had kind of cut some corners or if they had, you know, maybe even pitied you in some ways, that would have been a disservice to you. It would have been a total disservice because Why? what you're doing now is really you're cementing the fact that there's something wrong with me. Totally that, get it. Yep, absolutely. Yep. You're less than somehow. You're less than. And, and you're going to be our special project here somehow. And that is so demeaning. It is. And they held me to the same standard that they held the two parent households yeah. from you know whatever socioeconomic strata. They held me to the same standard. I recall this. I recall after meeting with her, this was prior to integration, all the juniors in high school, the Menden High School, and all the juniors at Webster High School where I attended took some sort of test. And I, I remember taking the test and I remember a month or so or two months later, walking across campus and our class egghead, you know, the, the genius in class was coming the other way. And he said, test results are back. You scored the highest. And I ran to Ms. Turner's office and sure enough, out of two schools, this black boy that with no heat, no lights, one meal a day, scored the highest out of all the juniors at two public schools in our small town. That just showed me what Ms. Turner had promised me, that if I acted a certain way, if I took my academics seriously, then good things would happen for me. And I'm totally indebted to her and those other individuals that saw things in me that I was blind to. It seems like you're, you know, this whole project reclaim and what you're doing. I love the word reclaim. It's for me, that word means we're reclaiming something that is inherently part of our design and who we are. It's reclaiming something that is ours that because of circumstances or other things have been lost. Little do we know it, though, as young people, because we can't think outside of our own box. We're just immersed in it. And it's sometimes just reactive to the things that are going on the best way we can, things that are happening to us. But this idea that you got to see firsthand something that she saw, that there's this potential that lies therein that she was pretty instrumental in finding a way through providing a structure through really clear and high expectations, no corners cut. Let's hold him to the highest standards. Let's watch and see what he does within a context of safety. Things not being shame-based anymore. Things being based on, we think you can be better and we want to help you do that. We want you to reclaim your true self here within this oasis of your school. You were living very early on, what it sounds like you're taking the young people through in your programs now. You're seeing in them this light, this potential, outside their circumstances that they're living in or surrounded by, and you're saying, I see something in you, and I want to help tap into and reclaim with you your fullest potential. May I ask before I go into the program, after high school, what did you do? Well, I went into the military, and I was woefully unprepared for that experience. It was not a good experience for me because I hadn't totally gotten the quote unquote street out of my system yet. I uh, and having that kind of, that level of structure and following orders, it just didn't mesh well at that time. And I was still a teenager. So yes. I was married at the time. I was 18. My wife was 16 because you know, I wanted a family and, and yeah. did that. It started really early and I was working at a wood yard and I hated it. I hated it. And I was out there one day and something occurred to me. 
you know, when I was a, a very young child, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, early elementary years, my mother gave me just a lifelong gift. And it was the, the love of reading. She would read to me and I'll never forget sitting in her lap and her reading to me. And Dr. Taylor, that set a foundation for me because making good grades in school for me was just a choice. If I wanted to be on honor roll, I could do it. Right. And if you look at my academic record, it's probably when things were just so unsavory, unhealthy in my life was the time when my grades went well. So I'm out there on that woodyard and I was thinking, you know, when I was in school, I could do well when I wanted to. I've got GIB or why don't I go to college? Mm-hmm. So I enrolled. And then four years later, I had a, a degree in psychology from Louisiana Tech University. And then at the age of 27, I was teaching psychology at Southern University Shreveport, and most of my students were older than me. Mm. And so coming from that circumstance and being able to see what can happen, I've got to express that to the young people that I serve. I was doing a, a workshop in Destin, Florida for some district attorneys and, and judges on Project Reclaim. And the night before my presentation, I was going through my what I would share with them. And I got to our referral criteria, you know, free or reduced lunch, disruptive or disrespectful, single parent household, high crime neighborhood. And for the first time, it occurred to me when I was looking at that referral criteria, I created a program to serve me. Exactly. And you you talk to some other practitioners and you'll probably find the same thing that because of what they went through and what they experienced, you know, I've got to do something that helps other people that might go through these same circumstances. So right. a gentleman approached me in Shreveport once and he said, you have such success with hard to serve kids. How do you do it? And I didn't know. And that put me on a three year journey of really evaluating what I did with the kids. And you know what it came down to? I was just replicating what the people in Webster High School did for me. Yes, yes. The same approaches. The, and, and, and if you just still it down. What were the it's that they did with you? What were the components of that? Genuineness. Having a vested interest in my life outcomes. Not demeaning me or putting me down or denigrating me because of where I come from. Seeing my possibilities over my liabilities. Mm -hmm. Belief in me. Respect. Dignity. And something that a lot of people in this field of social services today have gotten away from. Dr. Tate, they would listen to me. And now we're so learned as a yeah. society. We, we see things as genuineness and caring and, and things of that nature. They're, they're trite. And yes. then sometimes we're working with people and I've studied about your circumstance. I know all about what you're experiencing mm-hmm. and you don't. No. You don't. So those are the things that they utilize with me. And now I'm just replicating that to a whole nother generation. I've got to add this. Something interesting happened this year for the first time. I've got kids in Project Reclaim. Mm -hmm. Their mothers were in Project Reclaim. Is that right? Yes. And now we've got another generation and they're bringing their kids to us. And, you know, what do they say? That the best advertisement is a satisfied customer. Exactly. (laughs) So parents wouldn't bring their children to us. They weren't pleased with what it did for them in their lives. What a great testament. Proud of that. Yeah. What a great testament. They did a meta study on what allows psychology therapy to work. And there's a lot of great, you know, science-based theoretical positions and strategies and techniques and approaches. And they are very, very effective, each uniquely. But ultimately, the one piece that in which all those things are embedded is the relationship. 
the therapeutic relationship. And what you're talking about there is we can have these great programs, but there's not a genuineness. There's not a curiosity of somebody. There's not the ability to see that person just for who they are. Nothing else is going to work. So I love the piece about the relationship being so important. And I think when we talk about mental illness or struggles, it's usually coming out of the absence of necessary relationships in our lives to know us, understand us, guide us, steward us, all those things. And that's where you're saying, boy, the distilled components, what you experience, and now you're giving forward through the Reclaim Project, is I want to establish a healthy relationship with these young people to let them see what they can be. And then I'm going to, and then, and then I'm going to walk them down through these different, these different programs. So how did you then go from the military to a degree in psychology to teaching psychology into this inspiration of, I want to develop a program. This one is going to be Project Reclaim. How did it go to that? Well, when I was teaching at Southern University in Shreveport, there was a neighborhood called Ledbetter Heights, the bottoms there. And there was a program in that neighborhood and they came to Southern University and they wanted someone to put together a workplace readiness curriculum for them. And so I did that and enjoyed putting it together and went there and met with them. And then I did something else. I went back and I resigned from my position as an instructor. Mm. The people said I was crazy to do that. Well, it wasn't really crazy to do that. I wanted to go in the community and I wanted to be of direct service to those that are considered to be the least of these. And so I worked at that program several years, and then I had the opportunity to start a program in my own hometown of Menden. And so we started Project Reclaim. Project Reclaim started out of my house, out of the office where I'm sitting in right now. And a year ago, we had a 5,300 square foot facility donated to us. So now we've got our own place. We're not a vagabond program where we're, we're going from pillar to post trying to find somewhere to meet. And that just gives those kids a real good sense, and my team as well, yeah. a pride of ownership, of having yeah. your own. So yeah. it's always been a desire of mine to be of service. I know that's born of what I went through, and I think it's reflective of the fact that I'm trying to show respect to the people that came before me, that saw things in me that I didn't see, and I'm just passing on a legacy of service through what we're doing in Project Reclaim. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Whether you're a longtime or first-time listener to Behavioral Health Today, you're probably familiar with Triad, the company that brings you this podcast. But you may not know that Triad also hosts a community for current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, featuring trending content and education and career resources, all for free. If you are a behavioral or mental health professional, or you're studying to become one, join more than 80,000 people on Triad by claiming your free professional account today. Visit us at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And join the Triad community today. Really good. I like this idea that little do we know it, but we often become really good at giving others what we needed most. You said you spent three years kind of saying, what, what, what is it that I'm doing here? I'm doing what was done for me. Yes. I'm being the people that were there for me. I'm being those people for those that need me now, maybe bringing these types of instructors and these kinds of counselors and coaches alongside these kids. Let's talk a little bit about Project Reclaim and what are you targeting and what kind of programs are you offering? Well, we have our after-school program and just recently came to my attention in meeting with some educators that we've got third graders in school systems that cannot read and write their first names. Okay. 
And COVID had a lot to do with that, about the isolationism through that time. I mean, it set us back immensely. So we used to enroll kids from third grade up. Now we're enrolling at kindergarten level. And we engage them in our after-school program, and we're teaching, you know, basic reading and writing skills. Mm -hmm. Then from third grade up, they're also involved in our after-school program, but we have a youth leadership academy. Several years ago, I was doing some youth leadership training for Kettle Parish Schools. And I noticed when I was doing the training and kids were rotating in and out of my sessions as well as other presenter sessions, I noticed that these kids drove up and they had on letter jackets and they had on you know, very nice clothes. And it occurred to me, these kids are probably your A and B students and your stellar athletes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, they're getting leadership training. Why not provide leadership training for kids that don't ever get selected for leadership training? The kids that are living in dire circumstances, they are perhaps more in need of leadership training than anyone else. So we approach those kids that might have some difficulties in school or are living in a high crime neighborhood or single parent household or are in the midst of poverty. And we provide leadership and social skills training because we want them to be positive and effective leaders in their homes, schools and community. We also have our parents and children together organization. We call it PACT where the parents are involved in what we're doing. And one of the things that we do annually is our Project Reclaim Kid for a Day. And what we Mm -hmm. do is we bring the parents in because they trust us and they have a a ballpark idea about what we're doing. But we bring them in for a day and they do the same things that their children do when they come to Project Reclaim. They use the same Ascend Math platform. And when they get confused on it, that really tickles the children. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go through all the things. And then we pre-test the parents and we post-test them as well so as to uh, see if they've made any gains of their appreciation about what we're covering and doing with their children in Project Reclaim. And I'm proud to report that when they post-test, they have a very good further grasp of what we're doing with their children. We do Project Reclaim TV, where we've got a local videographer with professional television equipment. He will come in and kids learn to use that equipment. And then they learn to be in front of the camera to interview and to be interviewed. That helps to uh, lift their Mm self-esteem. And we're getting ready to do graphic design and website design classes. We've done website design classes previously, but our providers moved away to Dallas. And we're going to get that cranked up again. Now, Mm -hmm. what I'm saying in a nutshell is we're giving kids that don't ever get selected for these kinds of activities an opportunity to be fully immersed in them. And needless to say, they love participating in them. And I'm proud to say they do well at it. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that they would. You know, there's a such an important question that sometimes we don't fully appreciate that we are asking of ourselves all the time, usually unconsciously, but it's usually this question of who am I really? And as children, we are so dependent on what we refer to as a mirroring relationship with our caregivers or or our communities to mirror back to us how we're seen, who we are, what our potential is, et cetera. And if our environments are, are challenged and struggling and, you know, people are doing the best they can, but maybe they don't know how to show up for us in needed ways as healthy mirrors, they can mirror back to us and say, hey, you know, you've got potential here and you got some challenges here, you know, in these areas, but that's not who you are. Who you are, I think, is something in this area. And what you're doing, almost like with a with an X-ray vision, is saying, I, I can see some things in you that you don't see in yourself yet. But let me provide opportunities. Let me provide these, you know, these 
things that we do on a day-to-day basis when you come after school. And let me reveal to you through these things that we're going to walk you through and have you be a part of, you're going to see your true self emerge and you're going to see who you really are. I love that process there, Ron. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good. I love this idea of leadership too. You know, one would say, well, why would you take kids that are struggling and teach them to be leaders? (laughs) But what better leaders could we have than those who are going through some hard things and find a way to transcend those things? Exactly. Define who they really are. And those are going to be the most, I would imagine, and I've seen in my life, the most empathic, the most disciplined, the most informed leaders that we could possibly have out there. That's what you're doing with these kids, isn't it? You're exactly right. You know, I'm fond of saying that within the, the scope of our services, there's another Ron Anderson there. Exactly. That may not know it, and not saying right. that Ron Anderson is great, grand, and glorious by any means. Not saying no, no, that, no, no. but what I'm saying is there's someone that may not have a full grasp of what they can become, right. and I feel a sense of obligation to try to help them see it and then realize it. Yeah, really good. Let me ask you just a little little diversion here, but when you are at this place in your life right now, and and I'm going to ask you to kind of mind down into this if you if you'd bear with me. As a wee boy, you had this sense of who I am is, but through the question of what happened to you and then what you've done in your life to the point that you're at right now, if we were to ask that same question, who is Ron Anderson? How would you answer it? A servant, someone who, when I have luncheons and bring business leaders and people in to introduce them to Project Reclaim. And they come to our center. And and one of the things that I want them to understand is I don't have a job. I have a purpose. And when you have a purpose, it's beyond nine to five. It's beyond a paycheck. It's beyond you feeling a sense of self-importance. When you have a purpose, it's about lifting the people that are around you. Well, I get paid when I see a young lady in Walmart with a military officer's uniform on that came through our services. And they, what do they call that? They call that uh, that intrinsic compensation. Yes, that's priceless. Yes. I mean, you can't put a dollar figure to it. I went over to Bossier Municipal Center to do some life skills training for some juveniles there. And I get out of my car and I'm dragging my laptop and my projector across the parking lot and a police SUV pulls in front of me and stops. So I stop and, you know, nothing happens and I start to go around it and then they pull forward. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what's going on here? And then I start to go behind them and then they get a reverse and they back up. And I'm thinking, well, I don't speed. I hadn't broken any laws that I know of. And, uh, you know, then the window rolls down Mm. and there's the face of a young lady behind the steering wheel. And she says, remember me? That's awesome. And it was Kiara Harris. She'd been in Project Reclaim as a teenager. And she had always said, I want to be a police officer. And I took a picture of her and we have a wall of honor in our facility. And her picture is prominently displayed there. But that's who I am. I, I'm I'm about service to others. I'm about wanting other people to to experience what I experienced of rising above. I'm often 
faced with this. If I were to go off and do anything else, no matter what it is, and it paid five times what I'm paid now, would it be as rewarding to me as far as where I am in my life? I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing than what I'm doing right now. So what I am in a nutshell is I'm a servant to others. I'm proud of that role. The organizational chart that we have, it's like any other, you know, I'm at my board and then myself and then the contractors and then the kids, but my operational organizational chart is, it's inverted. The kids are at the top yeah. and the parents and I'm at the bottom and that doesn't diminish me. In matter of fact, in my eyes strengthens me because Dr. Taylor, I'm holding all of this up. Exactly right. If, if it's about me, it, it wouldn't work. It has to be about someone else. It has to be about your purpose. Yeah. That purpose has been formed by an understanding uniquely of what these young people are needing. Spend a minute or two for me. What are the circumstances, really, of the young people right now in their lives? What are they needing? And what do they respond best to? I've been in the field of, of social service in the streets, so to say for 33 years, and I've never seen a time like this. What they're needing is boundaries, yes, structure. Yeah. One of the things that I see that's been a real deficit with some of the, the parents that I work with is that they've not established that hierarchy of who's in charge in their household early. Yes. Yes. And then once the child is a teenager and just as big as that parent, everything turns into an argument because that power dynamic hasn't been established. And then you see parents that, you know, arguments are, are draining, they're stressful. So rather than argue, you have some parents that capitulate, they, they just mm -hmm. give up. Now you've got teenagers making their own decisions. Yeah. That's one of the things that I see that that's huge. That's why we're involved in parenting education. It really needs to be done at prenatally. It yes. really does. Also, one of the things that I see is that we need more of our young people to be validated in a positive sense. I wish that as an American culture, we could see the value of habilitation. You know, I did a comparison cost a few years back. And what I found out in this state, to put a child in a secure, juvenile secure facility in Louisiana costs $424 a day. And that's about $154,760 a year. In Project Reclaim, I can serve a child for $2.74 a day. That's about $1,003 a year. And when I started doing that math, I found out, Dr. Taylor, something I didn't know, that I'm a fiscal conservative, that I can show you how to invest your money's early to habilitate mm -hmm. rather than spend tremendous amounts of money mm -hmm. later trying to rehabilitate. I think it's yes. Frederick Douglass that said, it's easier to build strong children than yes. to repair broken men. Yeah. And I wish we could turn that on its head and I wish we would make more investments into habilitating our children into giving mm -hmm. them the skills that they'll need to really be successful in their lives. And with the advent of so much testing of them, it's taken some of the heart out of, yeah. of our educating our children. As I mentioned earlier, and I hope I don't bemoan the fact, if I came along now in the educational system, Ron Anderson would make it. 
because that relationship that you mentioned, if I wasn't able to form that with someone, if I'm just, I've got to be tested at this level and I've got to be at this level at this time, there's no way I would have survived that. My wife begs to differ, but I just don't believe that Mm -hmm. I would have had the relationships in 2023 that I was able to have in the seventies. So that's one of the things that I see. And I wish that we would put more emphasis into building up our young people rather than putting money at the back end. Yeah, we know that there's, you know, different different levels of intervention, aren't there? There's primary and secondary and tertiary. And mm-hmm. the tertiary, you know, is when it's when we're trying to we're just trying to manage people and it's gone, it's gone sideways so badly for them. Secondary, kind of the same thing. But this primary prevention that you're looking at, how can we get in early? And how can we buy, provide a structure and a format and an upbringing that if we know that we can have this flower bed to cultivate what their bloom is supposed to be and what they're designed to bloom as and to reach their potential in that, that primary prevention strategy, getting there early, providing that structure, and also for the parents too, equipping them to be the parents that they want to be, that but they may yes. not know how to be, whether it's the boundaries, how to structure, problem solve, how to discipline, you know, right way discipline. That's almost a swear word or a bad word nowadays. There's nothing healthier though than discipline. Discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is something we do to somebody. And usually punishment comes out of discipline not being there earlier in a child's life. Discipline is, I love you enough to do something for you. Everything I do is in your best interest, even if I have to discipline you in right ways that don't break your spirit, but let you see that what you're doing is not going to be in your best interest. Punishment is I do something to you and it's usually reactive. But this whole idea of discipline, this idea of structure, parental, you know, power differentials being properly placed, because children need that. And without that, like you're saying, children only know to become reactive, doing the best they can because of what's been done or what's happened to them. Certainly. Two points about that, Dr. Taylor. Please. Um, When I was a teenager, I asked my my girlfriend's mother and, and the young lady that would one day become my wife, I asked her permission to walk into a high school basketball game. And the first question she asked was, what time is the game over? Mm. And I said, about nine o'clock. She said, 9.15, I want my daughter right back here. Mm-hmm. Now, on the way walking to that basketball game, I could come in whenever I got ready. I could come in at two in the morning, five in the morning. I could come in next Tuesday or Wednesday. And at that time, I didn't have the blessing of having anyone to care whether I came in or not. Mm. And all the way walking to that game, what I was thinking was this. Why doesn't someone love me enough to say, be home at 915? Children not only need those boundaries, but they want them. And that kind of discipline, those kinds of boundaries equal love, don't they? Yeah, the strongest form of discipline is love. And in our parenting class, I call our parenting training raising winners. Because if you call it parenting, nobody's coming. You know, nobody wants you. You can't tell me how to run my household. I understand that. But in our raising winners... I'm not here to judge you or criticize you. We're going to share some information and we're going to learn from each other. The defenses come down. And one of the things we teach is the effective praise method. And one of the things we get to understand is praise is a form of discipline. Discipline is to do something that gets the desired behavior. Mm -hmm. And once we get the parents to understand that, and I give them a homework assignment, find 10 things a day to praise. You know, don't praise out of your pocket. Don't give them any money for doing what they're supposed to do because it's behavioral trap. You know, when you don't have the money, you won't get the behavior. So we have them do that. And every time I talk to parents after they finish that class, the one thing they mention that makes the 
biggest impact in our household has been praising their children, looking at it from a different perspective, catching the children, as they say, catching them doing well, catching them doing good. Love that. You know what I love also too, is that we, 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 we went through this really banana approach that if we just say, Hey kids, you know, you're really great just for who you are and you Mm -hmm. should feel good about yourself. There is nothing dumber than that. The way that we develop our esteem being proud of ourselves in healthy ways, a sense of ourselves as, as, as competent and confident is through merit, through doing. Thank you. So, hey, when you're talking to your child and you're saying, you, honey, you need to make your bed. You're not going out of the house until you make your bed. And then you say, hey, you did a nice job of that bed. Something changes for that child right then and there. They begin to have some discipline and they begin to kind of go, okay, I'm, I, I'm seeing that I'm doing something good. Or, hey, you really worked on that homework assignment and that was a tough one. And maybe you didn't get the grade that you wanted, but the way that you struggled with that and the rigor that you put into that, I admire that piece. So the child gets, and that's that mirroring part you're talking about here. Yes. The mirror, the, the child gets to have mirror to them of, wow, I, 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 I'm a hard worker, or I've got good discipline in my life. And we take that hard work, that good discipline, that kind of good attitude, or we're being acknowledged for that, for the things that we're doing. That's where we begin to kind of build from the inside out, isn't it? That sense of self and that sense of who I can really be. I came across an article, a newspaper article. I think it may have been the Washington Times. And I printed it out and I'm going to share it with my staff and share it with the parents. It it, it talked about the fact that so many young professionals entering the workplace now, they're dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety. And some of the causes they mentioned is something that you mentioned Dr. Taylor, soft parenting. You know, we we got to this point where, okay, nobody comes in second place. You know, everybody gets a participation trophy, but that's not the way life works. You know, playing football in high school was a monumental experience for me because you had to exert yourself, but you you didn't win every game. And if you didn't, it gave you something to strive for the next game. You'd have to work on something to be better than you were in the previous game. So we keep lowering the bar of expectations for our children. I wanted to do some workplace readiness training with an agency, and I wanted to do two hours a day after school for four days. And they came back to me, the people of the agency that I wanted to do it with, and said, well, can we make it two days? And I'm like, why? Because if it's four days, they won't come. Well, in my experience, if they want a job, they'll come. And let's not keep lowering the bar and lowering our standards because life is not going to do that for you. We've yeah. got to have people that are prepared. The kids that come to us for the rendering our services, I have very high expectations of them. Yeah. And I know that you experience some things that are difficult, but you know what? We got to get this homework done. And then when they're working on it, I'm so proud of you. You're putting in that effort. And all the children in our program, no matter if they're kindergarten or what age, they're Mr. and they're Ms. Yeah. And we're, they're called by their last names. Why? modeling and mirroring respect. One of the key things, Dr. Taylor, and I think you'll really appreciate this, is when I greet the kids, I greet them every day. I want to be there every day to greet them and and how was your day? And initially when I would say, well, Mr. Taylor, how are you today? They'll say, good, and keep walking. Wait a minute, come back here. How are you today? Good. Okay. Oh, oh, Miss Anderson, how are you? Okay, I'm doing fine. Okay, thank you. So it's those little uh, social skills. You know, somebody yeah. gives you the grace of wanting to know how your existence is, then you're supposed to reciprocate that. Yeah. And so when they come in now, it's like, Mr. Anderson, how's your day? <laughs> and even before I ask, 
But that's an example of some of those small things that we want those kids to, to latch on to. One of the things about Project Reclaim is this, Dr. Taylor. In this country, we've got to reclaim some virtues that made us great, like mm -hmm. hard work and discipline and respect and respect of others and, and, and having a strong and powerful household. And that's another reason why it's Project Reclaim. We've got to reclaim some things that we've lost. Ron, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we're both kind of singing in the choir around this one about these virtues, respect, strong households. I, I would love to have you back on the show to talk about these fundamental qualities that we've lost. And there's reasons why we've lost them, but they can be reclaimed. And they are the fundamental yes. cornerstones. Stephen Covey, he, he has this visual thing, maybe you've seen it, where he has this vase and he has on the table next to him kind of a tall vase, if you will, see-through glass. And he has these he has these good-sized rocks, and then he has pebbles, and then he has sand. And he has the an, an audience participant come up and say, I, I want you to put these three items, these three elements in this vase. And so they'll grab the pebbles, and, and they'll grab the rocks, and they'll tramp it on the sand, and it won't fit. And they'll dump it out, and they'll say, well, next person, come on up, and they'll put the sand in first this time, and then the big rocks and the pebbles, and it doesn't fit. Then we get the third participant. He says, try with the big rocks first, put the big rocks in. And then he says, try the pebbles next, same element, same amount. And then he'll say, put the sand in and it all fits. Why? Because the, the cornerstone, the most foundational piece is like you're saying, the virtuous things here, discipline, respect, strong households, not setting a small or low ceiling on our kids, but having the highest expectations. And then equipping them to attain what their potential is, not to a point where they're going to be frustrated, but to reach their fullest potential that, that they've been given, you know, these skills, abilities, talents, and, and, and gifts that they need to be taught what they've been given uniquely. And then they get to go steward the heck out of them, you know, yes. and when they do, they're going to get the most fulfilling life. People in their life are going to be fulfilled. And it's such a nice equation. You're talking about putting in the big rocks first. Mm -hmm. And I would love to come back and maybe talk about what some of those things could be that are lost virtues that we can reclaim. You know, Ron, I know we're coming to the end of our time today. I, I would love you to tell us how you measure the success of your program. I know you got some stats and I'd love to hear them. Yes, we, we've got our North Star is our outcomes. We want yes. our kids to remain in school, to promote from one grade level to the next, to remain free from involvement or further involvement in juvenile court and not become parents before they're equipped for such a weighty and immense role. And okay. each and every year, and mind you, think about the population that we're serving. Each and every year, we're either at 100% of each of those outcomes or the high 90s. And I think one of the reasons why we're always able to get those kinds of outcomes with the young people that we serve yeah. is because you go to a grant meeting and there are grantors and they have funds and there are two things that they discuss. Okay. Income. If we give you this money, what's going to be the outcome? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm more than ready to share our outcomes with anyone, but I found in my years of service, Dr. Taylor, that something has to come between income and outcomes. And what I found that to be is caring mm -hmm. that when those kids, when they know that you sincerely care, that you're not coming at them from a place of superiority. You're coming at them from a place of, we want this for you. We want you to be the best that you can be. 
then I found that we have those kinds of successes. Even with kids that were hard to serve in other environments, we want them to believe in themselves. I'd like to share this, if, if I may. I had to take one of my vehicles to a car dealership in Shreveport, about 30 miles to the west of us. And I had on a suit and tie and I had my work book bag with me and I drove up to the dealership and I was going up the incline to go to the service department to get my loaner. And the walls of that dealership are reflective, they're mirrored. And so as I'm walking up the incline, I look to my left and I see the man, the reflection of the man in the mirror and it stunned me. And I stood there staring at myself, staring at that reflection and it was an epiphany. It cascaded on me at that point in time. That's why those people in my past did what they did for me. That mm. the man that I'm looking at in this reflection, that reflection, that the, the professional, you know, the homeowner, the head of a household, the professional servant in the community with a suit and tie on, they saw that in me when I didn't. Yes. And I understood immensely at that point. That's why they did that. And the first thought I had after that was, I want one of the young people that we served to one day have that same epiphany. That's yeah. why they did that, because they wanted this outcome. And I tell that story frequently, and it, it was just something I'll never forget in my life. And I remember speaking in Houston, Texas, and telling that story and talking about those titans in my history that had helped me to become a, a better person than I was and to be successful in a career. And do you know that a lady came up to me and she knew Mrs. Turner? Is that she right? She knew Mrs. Turner's daughter. And she said they were living in, in Baltimore at the time. And she said, I'm going to make sure that I tell them that you were speaking mm -hmm. about her. And her name is rung out all over the country as an example, because Dr. Taylor, that reflection that I looked at, not only was it reflective of what happened to me, it was reflective of them. Yes. It was reflective of what they they gave me, of what they empowered me to become. So that's what I want the young people that we serve to one day say, that's why they did that. Mm -hmm. That's why they worked so hard. It's because mm -hmm. they wanted this for me. Well, that's a great illustration. You might even end up putting a mirror in your facility and having people come back and taking a look in your mirror and seeing what they're seeing and the people that were behind them and kind of lifting them to what their potential was. When they didn't see it, others did, including yourself. That is a great idea. <laughs> Hey, Ron, I would love folks to uh, learn more about you and how to follow up with you after our podcast today. We're going to have some links on our podcast, as I'll say in just a moment. But how can people find out more about you and Project Reclaim? Certainly. Our website is www.prstars.org. And if you go to our website, you'll learn more about what we're doing. You'll be able to see the outcomes that we have, and you'll be able to see some of the wonderful illustrations and pictures of our young people. And that's one way to contact us. And also, we have a Facebook page, Project Reclaim of Menden, our Leadership Academy. If you go there, you'll learn a lot about what we're doing. And we're yes. getting ready to start an Instagram page. And I like to say, you know, we're kind of getting into the 20th century, Project Reclaim. <laughs> and reason being, Dr. Taylor, is we last year served about 100 and no, 230 youth and families with mm. one employee. And you're looking at him. Mm. And I know a lot of people, and I'm, I'm, I'm not naive, I know that some grantors, when I send in an application and I put our organizational structure in there, they'll look at our outcomes and the sheer number of people that we served, and they'll say, no way, you can't do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But they don't understand where I come from. Mm -hmm. They don't understand purpose. 
and, and a heart of duty and radical grace. Something I heard Bob Woodson talk about, about extending beyond yourself, about your own self-comfort, but doing something for someone else. So hopefully they will reach out either our Facebook page or, or take a look at our website and learn more about us. Terrific. Well, I know they will. We have some great followings in our podcast here and and your program is really outstanding. Ron, I want to thank you for being on our show today. I so I'm so glad I found you. And I came across your podcast you were doing with somebody else and you being a guest speaker there. So I so appreciate being with us today. Thank you. And I'm going to look forward to having you back with us. Oh, to be my pleasure. Thank you so much. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Ron and me today. It's always great to have you with us. I want to remind you that our episode today, its resources, and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.